changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had a great interview with Stephanie Clausen from Refuge for Women, Texas Gulf Coast. And she is, gosh, a warrior mom. When when you hear her story that she tells at the first half of the episode, it is just one of those stories that, A, as a parent, you hope you never would ever go through. But the way that she handled it, her and her husband handled it as a family, I thought was just so amazing and inspiring for any other families that have to go through it. So um, it's one of those stories you want to listen to. And if you happen to know someone that might be going through something similar or you even suspect it, share this episode with them because it could be life-changing. For sure. And it was, um, like you said, impactful and deep and heavy, but also unexpected because, you know, you usually ask people like, Hey, how'd you get started in this? And, you, um, and then the story she went into that, which was great because it set up the foundation for where she's at now and why she's doing what she's doing. But it was just like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting like that story yeah. to show up right off the bat. Um, but you know, I, I love so many aspects of it because it, it's like I said, it's set up where she's going to, but also, you know, this is a, a faith-based organization and she's a Christian woman. Um, you know, I'm a Christian myself, Rex. It's like good to know that Christians have problems too, yeah. you know, and it's not the sense where sometimes people on the outside world see, you know, people who are believers and they just think, oh, well, they have this going on in their family. It's like, yeah, dude, like we have it's problems like just like you have problems. Yeah. And, you know, she's not hiding from it. She's not afraid from it. She puts it out the front gets in front of it really. So it doesn't become something that is like this hidden devil that hides down beneath. Yeah. So um, I love that she opened up with it. I love she's open with it. Um, and then as she transitioned to the organization refuge for women, you know, this is our third podcast we've done on sexual human trafficking, yeah. human trafficking and each one is deep, but it's a consistent theme because it's just so important for people to learn more about. Yeah, it really is. And you know, what they're doing, their organization is different than a couple of the other organizations that we've talked to. Um, it's really important, the backside of, you know, the recovery side for these women. So it's just such important work. And um, if you're looking for an organization to donate to, gosh, you, you know, your money's going to a good spot with these guys. That's for sure. Yeah. And then um, they have a great movie coming out, like a short little documentary. Yes. We're excited to see that. Um, you know, you guys are going to want to watch is basically sounds like it goes through the process of, you know, online, I don't know what you call predators, you know, grooming, grooming of, yeah. of, uh, of kids, you know, at a young ages of using all these, whether it's social media or gaming or all these different devices of how people will infiltrate in and befriend kids and start to ask them questions and get more information and start the process to be able to start trafficking them. Scary, scary subject, but there is real, real serious danger with technology, with phones, with gaming that as parents, we need to know about so we can be ahead of it and be able to ask our kids questions, be able to monitor in the ways that we need to. And for most of us parents, like we don't know, like it's hard to get in front of it when you don't know the steps. So I'm really excited about great tips. Too. Yeah. She has some great tips. She has some great tips in the, in the episode. She'll have great tips in this video. I'm excited as a parent. Cause like I said, I, I don't know what to look out for. I mean, I know the inroad of where it can go, but I don't know the steps that takes a kid to that point. So that's why I'm excited to be able to watch this video. Yeah. So I know how to get ahead of it. Great. This is going to be a great episode and a great movie for parents to watch. So share it far and wide. And I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for joining us for another episode of my corner of the universe. Today, we are joined by Stephanie Clausen from refuge for women, Texas, Gold Coast. Um, we are excited to be able to talk to her. We've actually interviewed a few different guests on kind of similar type of topics. So it's really important issue. And we're really excited to learn more about what Stephanie and her organization is doing. Stephanie, thank you for joining us and welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is great. Great. Well, first off, let's talk a little bit about you, kind of how you got started into the nonprofit sector, and then tell us more about the organization and what it is that you guys do. Absolutely. Um, 
our journey into the nonprofit sector probably isn't like a lot of people's. So um, we have, I don't want to call it a unique um, type, I don't know, story. <laughs> so sorry. That's the puppy. Uh, you're good. Yeah, you're if good. You need to put her in the crate. You can put her in our crate. Hi. Welcome Hi. again. Welcome My name again. is Stephanie, and I'm from <laughs> Refuge for Women, Texas Gulf Coast. Um, and um, our beginnings into the nonprofit sector um, started in 2015. So actually, my husband and I are missionaries, and we are missionaries under a sending organization called Go To Nations out of Jacksonville, Florida. And we started doing mission work in, in 2011 because we're good people, right? We, we yeah. love Jesus. We're good people. And we got invited on a mission trip, and we thought we were just going to go and um, do what good people do. And we arrived in Central America, and it was really an eye-opening experience of you know, what true need is, how we as people can meet that need simply just by showing up. And um, it really kind of wrecked our lives. We came back from Central America and kind of thought, all right, I think this is what we're supposed to do. And we got on this journey of trying to find out how to be full-time missionaries. And that's where we found GoToNations. We joined them in 2014 after making numerous trips to Africa and more to Central America. And then we just started fundraising, right? So if you're going to live overseas, you have to get people on board with your vision. And man, we, we hit the ground running. And in about a year, we were about 95% funded. And that was such an incredible achievement because that doesn't happen. It usually takes many years to get fully funded. And so we, um, we're going to spend about three months in Central America again to kind of tie up some loose ends that we had started there. And we had our tickets to Thailand. So we were going to move to Thailand in January of 2016. And that was it. That was our big adventure. But I'll rewind a little bit to two years before that. In about 2013, we have three children and our middle son, we had caught watching pornography. And as parents, we just were so ill-equipped to talk about it. You know, nobody talks about it. No, you don't right. know what to say. Yeah, yeah, you, for sure. You, I mean, I don't know about you guys. You're both dads. I mean, the manual that I got with my children, I lost, apparently. Yeah. I, it's somewhere. <laughs> mine's still in the, the mail. It should be here soon, I think. <laughs> oh, it's been misplaced, and there's just no page to turn to yes. about, about these subject matters. And so we sat him down, and we had this moment of saying, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus feel? And we, we kind of, we shamed him and mm -hmm. we didn't mean to, and it wasn't on purpose, but we just didn't know what to say. And, and instead of his viewing, um, ceasing, it actually continued, but in a much more secretive way. And, um, but you know, we walked away from that moment, like high five in each other, like we're the best parents. And we showed him, you know, <laughs> we showed him and, and that was just miles beyond false. And um, so now, right, fast forward two years, and here we are, and we have our tickets, and we're excited to go. And um, we're spending about eight weeks at home and before we leave. And um, the same son that struggled with pornography sexually assaults a young girl. Mm. And we're left in this moment of not understanding at all why it happened, right? Because we said yes, like, wasn't there some type of like insurance <laughs> to say yes for the Lord? And um, I think there was such a misunderstanding of really when you step out and you really obey and really kind of give your life to, you know, to the Lord, you're kind of a, there's a target on your back. So mm -hmm. I, again, maybe I missed that information somewhere along the line. And I think we just sailed through this, just thinking, Oh, we said yes. And that's it. And we're going to go on our merry way. And, and it wasn't like that at all. And we were faced with a really hard decision because now our sending organization has a zero tolerance for any type of sexual misconduct, which I absolutely honor. Um, and so because he was a minor, we couldn't go overseas. But it wasn't just that, it was the fact that we knew if we ever wanted to truly recover from this moment and move past this, past this moment, we had to be transparent. And we had to um, let our son know that obviously his actions were are, are not tolerated. 
and we took him down to the police station and turned him in. Oh, and that's it was, probably hard. It was the worst Gosh. moment. I remember sitting in the parking lot, just crying and wondering like, what have we done? Oh my gosh, we've ruined his life. And um, my husband made him um, admit without an attorney of what had happened. And we knew with our son admitting to what he did, that he would be convicted. But we also knew that in order for our son to get the kind of help he needed, the conviction was necessary because you can't go to a counselor and say, oh, I abused somebody. They would have to report it anyways. And so mm-hmm. we were just stuck in this moment of just going, okay, if we truly want to heal, we kind of have to walk through some bad to kind of hopefully come out with some good. And our son was arrested and he was convicted and he received a felony charge of sexual assault. And he had to complete an 18 month course of um, like it's a course designed through the state for juvenile sex offenders, probation and counseling and all sorts of stuff. But right here we are now. We're homeless. We sold our home. We sold like we we rehomed our animals. We literally sold everything we had and we're Uh stuck here just going like now, now what, like now what do we do? And, um, in this moment of just really feeling bad for myself, cause we can do that. And a friend called and she said, Hey, how's it going? And I was just not well. And she said, Hey, there's this prayer group in Houston. Why don't you just get out of the house, you and Kurt get out of your house and just go be around people. And so we did, and we showed up into the Houston area and walked in to this prayer group of about seven or eight anti-trafficking nonprofits sat down in this group, listen to their heart, listen to why they're doing what they're doing and, and how people can be involved. And we drove away from that meeting and just decided this is, we felt like this is where we needed to be. And so for that first year in 2016, we just jumped in and did everything. We served wherever we could. We did interventions and outreaches. We did prevention and awareness and Oh, just everything. I and mean, we were up at two o'clock in the morning, picking up women from a hospital to transport them to a shelter and wow. just did everything mm-hmm. we could. And um, then as the years have passed, it kind of, instead of having like this shotgun type thing where you just kind of shoot and everything's kind of spread out, we started kind of, kind of trying to figure out like, where's our lane? Mm. Like, we know all of this, but like, where do we need to really hone in? our knowledge or our experience or um, our gifts or our talents. And um, my husband and I started a ministry in Galveston County called Missionaries for Hope. So um, our whole idea was for for prevention and awareness about trafficking. And a lot of people maybe don't understand that trafficking is a supply and demand issue. Mm-hmm. And we can meet or try to reach the supply all we want, right? We can do interventions. We can be on the street. We can be in strip clubs. We can be in illicit massage parlors. But if there's a demand for sex, then there will always be a supply. Yeah. And so we knew we needed to try to do what we could do to um, educate people about the demand. And what we found um, was that pornography uh, directly fuels the demand. And then when we realized this and we sat in a training about this escalation dynamic that people get on when they start viewing pornography and you, it just is, it's like a drug. Someone doesn't wake up one day and do meth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they start someplace and it's the same with a person who buys another person on the street. They don't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to expose myself by driving down this road and purchasing a person. It doesn't work like that. There's an escalation dynamic. And when we found out what that was, and we reflected back on our son, is our son was on that escalation dynamic. And mm-hmm. what we know now, and what we did with him is that we essentially kind of knocked him off of that escalation dynamic by turning him in, getting him help, getting him therapy. The average age for a first buyer is 21 years old. And well, he turns 20 yeah. years old this year. And he yeah. could potentially had become a buyer. And it really impacted us because it really kind of concreted our understanding of the supply and demand and, and where, where it kind of originates from. So under Missionaries for Hope, we did a lot of intervention still. We were trying to connect with churches and people and individuals of just talking about kind of where, where these two things come in at. And um, 
we do outreach on one of the busiest tracks for prostitution in Houston called Bisonette. And we were out there, I'm going to say probably exactly two years ago. And just had this moment of looking at the women that we were reaching out to and just thinking, like, how can, how can we reach them before this moment? Like, how can we talk to them when they were like 12 and 13? And, and how can we warn them? Like, how can we warn 12 and 13 year olds now mm. to not become the supply later? And we found out that 90% of grooming for sex trafficking is happening online. And when you think, um, I don't know, I, I, I assume we're all three kind of the same age. I don't know. And um, yeah, uh, early 20s. We're all early 20s. Early 20s. Yeah, early 20s. yeah. We're all, we're all the same age, early 20s. <laughs> same age. Yeah. You know, when I was 16, I had I have seven siblings and I like my house was chaos and my mom had strict rules and I was sick of living there. And I would call my friend, you know, on that phone that attached to the wall that had, you mm-hmm, know, that cord. Mm-hmm. You could only walk eight feet away from the wall. Um, And so I remember calling my friends and voicing my vulnerabilities, right? I'm sick of this place. I hate these rules. I I can't wait till I turn 18 and I'm out of here because I'm so smart, you know? (laughs) And when I hung up the phone, though, that's where my vulnerabilities ended. Mm. That was it. Well, nowadays, that's not what's happening. We have all these young girls with the same exact vulnerabilities. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I have pimples. I have this. No boys like me. Same exact. It's like a never ending cycle of generational issues. And, um, but now they're getting on their cell phone and they're going on to these social media platforms and they're voicing the same concerns, but they're hitting post. And what's happening is that's going out to hundreds of thousands of people that they don't even know. And people are preying on those vulnerabilities. And so Do snatch and grabs happen in trafficking? Yeah. I mean, I want to say parents, please like keep an eye on your kid, obviously educate your children on the kind of the stranger danger kind of thing. But really what's happening is that traffickers uh, don't have to um, put themselves out there. They don't have to troll um, malls. They don't have to go to parks. They don't have to do those things. All they do is go online and start preying on the vulnerabilities of our youth Mm -hmm. simply from their own home. And so what we thought is, how can we educate our youth on um, this issue, this grooming issue? What what can we do and educate parents on to be more aware and to be more vigilant on what's happening on social media with your children? And we have this idea of putting together this really short film of like grooming tactics. And there's literally stages that a groomer would use, like befriend and isolate and all these different stages that you can see it almost just walk out in, in, in this very brilliant manner, unfortunately. And um, my parents live in Northern Idaho and they have a young gentleman that was um, in their church and he was kind of getting into filmography and, and videography. And I happened to just say, man, wouldn't it be great if Travis could come here to Texas and make a film? And we kind of had like this ha 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 kind of moment. And then I think it was three months later, he's standing in, in my living room. Wow. Awesome. awesome. And yeah, he just, he came out and we really didn't have like a concrete plan of what we were going to do. And I asked my daughter is in the film and these two other young ladies and um, every we shot this short film in about six days, had no like script, just this uh, idea of what we wanted it to look like. We wanted it to be extremely relatable and not like all Hollywood. And that was it. Uh, we had zero budget. We just kind of did what we did and um, made this incredible film. Uh, it's about 16 minutes long, just showing students and parents like what could potentially happen when your child is approached online. And we're really proud to say, actually, last week we drove to Dallas and there is a film festival called um, The Content. And so um, their film festival, Content 2020. And we won an award. Oh, for, awesome. Um, yeah, we won the Justice so cool. Award. Nice. And it was just one of those things where I think it was just foundational for Travis who did all of the editing and original music and just did a beautiful job on it just for him. He's 20 years old now. And for him as a young man to find value in wanting to combat combat trafficking by using mm-hmm. his gifts and talents, it was just phenomenal. So 
uh, we're very proud of that moment because yeah where's that film located now is it on your site is it on youtube vimeo yeah, where people catch it watch actually, that well we're going to premiere it this friday and oh, so great. it'll actually be on our ministry page called missionaries for hope on facebook and, and that's so a four can- right or for F-O-R. It's F-O-R, okay. Yep, and so people can go on there. So Friday evening, we're going to just premiere it and Get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready. Yeah. And it's, it's really impactful and it's very emotional because you kind of, you see like this deterioration of this young lady happen and kind of the effects that it has on her family and her friend group. But the film was made to bring attention to like, come on, parents. Like we have to know what's going on with our Mm -hmm. students. You have to pay attention and ask questions. And it's also for students to look at that and either self-identify or see somebody in their friend group and go, oh man, maybe something isn't good. And uh, we get at the end of the film, we have resources and different things like that for people. If, if you know that it's happening to somebody or if it's, if it's you, you know, so we're really excited and proud. So um, definitely check that out. What, then, what age group do you recommend showing that to? I'm going to say 11 or 12 and up okay. because that's about the age that the child receives their first smartphone is about 11 years old. And so I think it would be great. And it's also on gaming platforms. So I'm not saying like only females should watch this, but our young men need to watch it too. And yeah. And gaming platforms too now are so, um, cross gender you know it's not like when i grew up when we grew up and you know we're in our early 20s so when we grew up not too long ago um i felt like video games were more of like a male thing and and but now it is like all these games like everyone just plays these games and the thought that popped into my head was of course growing up um and i can't grew up in kind of a smaller town northern california so we had kind of free range you know we'd ride our bikes around the neighborhood do whatever we want but nowadays like parents were like oh you can't do that because it's such a scary world out there but then parents sometimes will forget that like what's online yeah. is probably way more dangerous than them riding their bike to the store. The chance of someone snatching them at the store, although like you said, it is possible, is is probably less likely than somebody befriending them and going through this route through a, an online game. Yep, absolutely. And that's the thing that my heart really is for parents, right? Is like parents, it is okay to parent. Like, yeah, that cell phone that your 12 year old is using, most likely they are not paying for. And mm-hmm. so it is OK for you to check your kid's phone to ask, who are you texting? Who who is this picture? Do you know this person? Have you ever met this person face to face? Like, it's OK, because those questions could ultimately save your child's life. Yeah, and we had, a lot of parents- yeah Derek had a list of apps. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, we interviewed a, a gentleman, Derek Scott, who's he did volunteers the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, USIAHT or something like that. And uh, he was also a former sheriff. And he, well, that was his takeaways. He had these this infographic that was like nine apps to make sure you look out for if your kids have. And then the other thing he said, which was important, is he's like, he said, I'll go into people's, home, people's homes and, you know, ask the parent to get their kid's phone and they don't know how to open it because they don't even know their, their kid's passcode. And he's like, oh. you pay the bill. Like you need to, like you yeah, have that, to pair it. Like you can't be their buddy. Like you have to know their passcode and they have to know that at any point you can take it and look at their phone. But like, it's just another thing, like you said, if it's hard to parent and sometimes parents are just like, oh, that's their thing. I'll let them do it. But it's like, no, you have to take responsibility. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I do it. So we now, we have a 24 year old and our 20 year old and a 17 year old. And so our 17 year old's our daughter. And so I'll just randomly walk in a room and be like, hey, can I have your phone? And she kind of hands it to me (laughs) and I'll go through messages. Who is this? How do you know this person? Oh, he's in my English class. And we're doing like this thing to get this, like this project together. And then I'll even look through her photos and say, Hey, please don't take photos like this. This can be kind of provocative or this. Can you please not do this? And she's like, yes, ma'am. And so I'm like, okay. And I hand the phone back to her and I'm like, good job. Like, that's great. Um, I even go on her Netflix account and look at what shows that she's been watching or what she has on her playlist. And there's, we've had a couple conversations of, you know, like Bailey, like I would prefer you not to watch that. That has language in it that you don't need to hear. I mean, even though, I mean, she's in high school, but um, you know, kind of like I try my best, you know, my husband and I try and, you know, I think that's the thing that people say, Oh, well, you know, um, you know, my, 
my kid is, um, I teach them at home or they go to a Christian school. So I think people or parents have this misconception that that is like safe, which of course, Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, we can say, okay, but the average age of first exposure to pornography is eight. So the most disturbing word in that sentence is average because that means less. And most of those are accidental exposures. Either a child mistypes something in the internet or our son, how he was introduced when he was 12 was somebody on the school bus showed it to him on their right. phone. And so these are the things that's like parents, it's not if your ch- your child will be exposed or see an inappropriate picture, but it's when, mm-hmm. and like, are you, are you ready for that conversation? There's a really great book out there called good picture, bad picture. And it's for like elementary students of talking about, you know, what do we do? What, what is considered a good picture and what's considered a bad picture and what do we do? And so people always ask me like, wh- like how old, like is like too young to start talking to my children. And I'm thinking, well, your kid is six and walking around with a cell phone. <laughs> so I'm kind of yeah. like, oh, I'll say maybe like now, <laughs> yeah. now is a good yeah, time now. to do that. But really what it is, it's just like us parents, like, is the conversation uncomfortable and like horribly awkward? Like, yes, it totally is. And, you know, and even our older son, I had to come to him, I think it was it two or three years ago. And, and I was like, son, like, are you like going to strip clubs? And he's like, Oh, like, no. So I was like, okay, like real talk. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. And um, I said, well, why not? And he said, well, mom, like every day I listen to you talk about exploitation and mm-hmm. these women and all this stuff. And he's like, I don't want to be a part of the problem. And so that made me really happy. But then I said, well, do you, do your friends go to strip clubs? And he's like, yeah. He's like, but what I tell them is like, my, my mom does outreach in strip clubs and you might see her there. So <laughs> um, I tried to detour that. <laughs> and so, hey, you know, whatever works. But um, but it's just these things of us parents, like just being uncomfortable a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. And and sitting down and talking and saying, like, guess what? If you have an unsolicited photo sent to you that's inappropriate, like that's not your fault. And we want to be able to talk with you about that. And I think as parents, if we can create this safe space in our house where our students or our kids see us as um, a part of the solution of of the world's problems, then they'll come to us. And and my daughter's done it and she knows all about this exploitation, all about the grooming and everything. And she'll even come in and go, mom, I accidentally mistyped something in my phone and I was really looking for this, but it popped this up. And I'm like, okay, you know, we talk about it for a minute and I ask her, are you all right? Do you have any questions? And she's like, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, well you didn't do it on purpose, but yeah. I like how she comes to me. And that's another thing is, Um, She has like a Snapchat and an Instagram and she probably gets approached two or three times a week on those platforms. People asking for nude photos, people asking to be her her to be a a sugar baby and um, want to video chat. And, and this is our daughter who knows about trafficking and exploitation. And so what about that young lady that's in her room that's receiving those same messages that doesn't. Right. And her parents have never had that conversation Mm -hmm. with her and, She's sitting in her room and she's kind of, she's being abused sitting in her room by these inappropriate photos and inappropriate messages. And just as parents, I think we really just kind of need to look at it and say, like, we live in such a different culture. You know, I was raised in the eighties and it was different. Like, and I'll even say, I'll even go on record to say like pornography in the eighties was different. Like it was that playboy at your uncle's house. Uh And the access to it, you know, the access to it, it was like paper or like people had like a video they had to put in a TV. And now it's just like the fact that it's just like in kids pockets and accessible, like, you know, it's crazy. It is. And I think so with the change of that culture and the change of what is going on, this hypersexualized culture that we live in, just as parents have to take a different approach on on really combating or really being that sound voice in in our kids' lives. And it's difficult because I want to believe that it's the same as the 80s and it's not (laughs) at all. And um, movies are different and commercials and Mm -hmm. just everything. So. So that's kind of like that part of who we were. And about a year ago, um, I went to an open house for Refuge for Women, Texas, Gulf Coast. They had just purchased the house 
in Southern Brazoria County on February 7th and then had this prayer and dedication on February 8th. And I got invited because of we're in that same arena and we went and, and we drove away and, and I asked my husband, I said, well, they're going to have to hire people, you know, to run that place. And what do you think if maybe I work there kind of like this divide and conquer kind of thing, like you on the front end doing awareness and education and me, unfortunately on the back end, helping women who've already been exploited and, um, the position came up and I just kind of threw my hat in and Hey, they hired me. Awesome. So, yeah. um, we're excited because actually yesterday, um, uh, we received our first resident and wow. it's extremely exciting. She came from Wisconsin and, um, she spent the first night, hopefully of the rest of her life feeling free of, of what she's lived in. And, um, it's just phenomenal. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on that process of kind of, they don't have to go into too much depth, obviously, if, if, if you can't go that far, but just kind of like how, how the organization finds somebody that's been trafficked, how they get them and then how they, and then the, how they transfer transfer the refuge and then on into life. Yeah. So refuge for women is actually the nation's largest aftercare program for trafficked and exploited women. And so our home opening up yesterday, we're the fifth program house. We have another program house in North Texas in Las Vegas, Chicago, and Kentucky. And we're opening up another house in Southern California. So in San Diego, um, hopefully in March, and then an emergency house in Pittsburgh. And so right now, about 40% of our referrals come from front end organizations, um, such as drop in centers, emergency centers, maybe even domestic violence or homeless shelters, um, women who have any type of exploitation in their past, because most times you self-identify at different times in your life. And so our program is a 12-month program at no cost to the resident. And we offer um, help for women 18 and older. And so um, this young lady who found us actually came through a front-end organization. And they mm-hmm. Googled a long-term aftercare home and found us. And so, um, so like God bless Google, but, um, but then, um, family sometimes finds us when they're kind of at their wits end of being able to help a family member or just all different ways. And so a woman has to be 10 days clean before she comes into our program because we don't offer detox. Uh, but what we do offer when she gets to our house is trauma counseling, grief counseling, Uh, We're partnered with Celebrate Recovery for any type of addiction issues they have, not just drugs or alcohol, but maybe it's overeating, undereating, maybe it's codependency issues. And then we just plug her into an amazing community. Mm -hmm. The program has about 23 books that she has to read. And so it's quite a a large amount of books, but the books, yeah, the books vary from um, um, talking about abuse and neglect and violence and how do we overcome those things. Then, and also we talk about like, there's a book about Dave Ramsey and like, how do we, you know, nice. budget. And, yeah. and yeah. so, um, and uh, I'm going to say about, uh, about a quarter of our books or maybe a little bit more are um, faith-based. Mm-hmm. And so refuge for women is a faith-based uh, nonprofit. And so ultimately we, we believe that the Lord is the one that heals and restores and all we are, um, is just kind of a vehicle of um, getting her to that point. We do receive women who um, don't believe in the Lord. Maybe they come from different backgrounds and that doesn't matter. Um, religion is not forced on her, but it's introduced to her. Mm-hmm. And I I think really that's just reality. I think if somebody forced me to like them, that would push me even further away. And so we just provide these moments of her to really discover like who she really is. You know, I was 13 and I lived on a farm in Northern Idaho and I wanted to be a veterinarian. Right. So when I was 13, I thought, I thought that that's what I was going to do when I grew up. And that was a dream of mine. And, and when you think the women who have been trafficked or exploited, you know, since they were maybe 13, 14, 15, they have those dreams taken away from them and they lose their identity of who they've been called to be, um, how the Lord designed them. And when they get to our place, we give them the space, well, to dream again. And mm-hmm. I think that's the exciting part about Refuge for Women is like, do we understand there's going to be hardships? Yes. There's going to be conflict. Like there's going to be brokenness there. Oh, it's it's going to be a challenge. But 
what I love about Refuge for Women is that the way that the program is designed is in such a beautiful way where every phase that she goes through just grows off the previous phase. And so the first phase is really about like stability, um, really looking at what's going on with her medically. Does she need dental care, vision care? Does she have a tattoo from her trafficker that she'd like to get covered up or removed? Mm -hmm. um, uh, again, like who is she? Who does she want to be? What did, what did she dream about again? And, and then as she moves into phase two, then it's like, okay, would you like your GED? Like, let's study to get your driver's license. Um, let's really kind of take that dream and, and put it into, into motion of, of what you want to do. And then introducing her to volunteers. Maybe she wants to write a book or maybe she wants to paint or maybe she wants to be a nurse. And then bringing in those volunteers to just speak that into her that, yeah, you can be a nurse and it doesn't matter where you came from. And, you know, and or you can be a playwright, like imagine a woman writing a play about where she came from and, and using that as a way to educate. And then phase three is more about um, really preparing her for job, job readiness and interviewing and then also being able to live independently outside of our program. So it's kind of like um, our children. So we teach them how to cook and clean and we teach them how to, you know, proper hygiene and budgeting in the hopes that they will move out of our house and, yeah. you know, live independently of <laughs> yeah. us. That's right. I said hope. Okay. And, um, and so that's the same way that the program is. And we um, obviously understand that restoration is a holistic effort. It's, you can't say like, oh, mentally I'm okay, but maybe physically like, uh, most of these women have, like I say, lived off of hot Cheetos and monster drinks for, you know, the last couple of years. And they're wondering why, why they, they have skin issues or gut problems or their hair is falling out because it's that old theory of garbage right. in, garbage out. For and sure. so we have a nutritionalist that's going to come in and talk to them about, you know, pro, you know, proper ways to shop or to pick food. And, and then also, you know, I had to start doing my laundry when I was like, 14. And, um, I shoved every piece of clothing I owned in the washer because I thought I'm just going to do one load of laundry. And mm -hmm. so that didn't work. And <laughs> so my mom had to come alongside me and say, this is why it doesn't work. Like you have to separate it. You have to do this. And it was a teaching moment. And we're going to have those moments in the house. A lot of the women may have never cooked before, or they don't know how to budget. They've, they've never had their own money. And or how to make a bed or why do we make a bed? You know, what is the significance of bed making? And and just every moment in the house is a teachable moment. And I think through those moments, she'll be able to step back and then really realize who she is and who she wants to become. And and Re Refuge for Women opened, I think, 2009. And then as of 2010, they've served 225 women um, wow, through their awesome. program. Um, with graduates and um, women who saw value in what Refuge for Women is. And so they've gone back and got their degree in wanting to be counselors. And so now they I work bet, for yeah. Refuge for Women. And you see this amazing cycle where they saw how it helped them and now they want to give back. And um, what I like about our president, um, his name is Ked Frank, is he really, really strives to serve the women with excellence. And he was really challenged with this kind of growth model of like, it would be wonderful to have a refuge for women house in every single state that right. would sound ideal, but he was really challenged with how can we truly meet the needs of the women that we serve? And what he decided is instead of growing out, he's growing deeper. And so all those seven locations that I had said before, like Las Vegas and Chicago and Kentucky, all seven of those locations are going to have three levels of care. The levels of care is an emergency house. It's a 30-day stay to really meet her immediate needs when she comes off the street. Then it's the program house, which is a 12-month program at no cost to her where she can receive real, true, deep healing. Then it's transitional living to where when she graduates from the program house, she goes into transitional living where there's still a level of accountability. She's still encouraged to go to counseling. She There's drug testing just to keep her on that right path. I and think what that steps awesome right there. Cause I think yes, going and, from and, completely, you know, you're being helped by the organization to all of a sudden you're on your own without yeah. a transition can be tough. Oh, and it is. And, and that's what they found early on is like, okay, they go through this program 
And then what? Right. You know, and I think when they get to that third phase of the program, they start kind of, um, I, I would say freaking out, but because now they're wondering, where am I going to stay? What am I going to eat? Right. How? And then what did they go back to? What they know. Right. And that's when we saw the women going back to, into the life. So the transitional living aspect is just really key to their sustained healing. And so what Refuge for Women found is that when a woman, when a woman, when a woman, you know, when a woman comes through our emergency house, then the soft handoff to the program house, and then that soft handoff to the transitional living, that those women, 92% of them never return to the life. And um, that is a phenomenal number when you really think of, of the chances of them going back because that's all they know. And so I'm really proud to say that even though, yes, we just opened our doors yesterday for our program house, we are already looking to open our transitional living house by December of this year to be able to receive the graduates that we're getting this month. And awesome. so it's a very exciting year for a refuge for women, yeah. Texas Gulf Coast. But I'm in I'm very encouraged. I want to go back to something you said there is you mentioned do traffickers tattoo their. Yes. Oh yeah. God. So a lot of times a trafficker will tattoo a woman or what they would call brand a woman um, as a way of just even showing that you're mine, that you're no longer like a person, you're just a product. And so a lot of the women that'll come to our home may have a name tattooed on them or a symbol that that was who they belong to their trafficker. Wow. Yeah. It's such a crazy crazy aspect. And, you know, I appreciate you really explaining the depth of the rehab process. Cause I think it also gives depth to the, the kind of breakdown that these women have to go through. I mean, it's almost like they've been dehumanized to where like, you know, like you said, they're whatever dreams they had aspiration, that's all gone. You know, you get them in a whole different state of mind to where they're almost like walking zombies. They're branded. Um, so, so I love that you explained how you take them out of that because it shines light on what they went through and how, how deep that is. Well, and it is, and it's truly a brainwashing tactic that these traffickers do, because if they can reprogram you into thinking that you're worthless and you have zero value, then you'll never aspire to be anything more than that. And so our program is really designed to day by day kind of break down that programming that had happened to them and be able to celebrate with them small achievements like, Hey, you did laundry today. Awesome. You did such a great job. Or man, like you are a vacuuming queen. Like this is amazing. And that may not sound significant to other people, but for a woman who has been told her whole life that she's nothing but a hoe and she's ne never going to be anything more than that. That's when those small achievements and those small victories become just ginormous to her because she's never been told anything other than that that's all she's worth of is just selling her body. And so that's how our program is set up is just to just, just celebrate those victories with her just daily. And so that's where we're at now. We start day two with our, our first resident and um, just like doing life with her. And, and we're really, really excited because I think we're actually receiving our second resident on Saturday. And then I think two oh, awesome. more, hopefully by the end of this month, and our house has the capacity of holding eight women. And so we'll slowly, you know, we're, we're not a new organization, but we're a new arms. So we want to make sure that we don't rush into it and um, have all these problems. We really want to be wise on how, um, like if we get to four women and we feel like we're kind of at capacity with, with what's going on in our home, then we'll stick to four. But if the four women we have are, are good and we feel healthy and we're kind of moving along, then we'll add some um, additional residents as well. So right. we just want the women to be healed and their healing to be sustained, not just be proud that, oh, we're adding a person to a bed. Like that's that's not what's important to us. The sustainability of their healing is what's important. How do you guys get your funding? Is there any grants involved or is it yeah. strictly donation or what is it? It is. It's kind <laughs> of a little bit of both. And so my job is to raise all the funds to keep the house open. That is no burden at all. None. And yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what we do is we make relationships with businesses and churches and individuals 
and just kind of vision cast over them of who we are and what we're doing. Now, we um, have been given like local foundation grants um, through families or through, you know, different avenues. Some of the larger federal grants, because uh, our um, mission statement is faith-based, sometimes we don't qualify for those because they, they would prefer your mission statement not to be faith-based. Which is crazy. Which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> but, we're still helping people, but, yeah. you know, and, um, but so we find it a little hard sometimes to, to get larger federal grants that way, um, but they're available. A lot of the larger grants have a lot of oversight and, and a lot, and sometimes it can become almost like you're just babysitting a grant. And mm-hmm. so we've kind of just prayed about it and thought like, Hey, how can we best help our women? And I'm telling you, our community has come around us. And I mean, we've had churches just give so amazing and, and individuals and businesses. And um, yeah, that's kind of where the majority of ours comes from is just going now, out. As, a, as the Texas arm, do you guys have to raise all your individually? Yes. It's none of it funnels down really? Nope. Um, unless so. Um, an arm of refuge for women is called Survivor Made. And so that's our social enterprise arm of refuge for women. And so each location will eventually have this social enterprise. And they applied for a grant that is about $750,000 over three years to help get all of the locations a social enterprise. So that is at the national level and that will trickle down to us. Right. But um, that's no, just infrastructure for the, the legal part of it. Yes. And so yeah. we have to raise all of our funding at a local level. Got it. Uh, like you said, no burden, easy work. <laughs> easy work. <laughs> I mean, I've not lost one week of sleep. Because uh, of it, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So on that on that message, if you feel like donating, yes. you know, where, where, where do you want them to go if they, if they, if they listen to you and they want to help out? What, what's the best way for people to be able to help out? Absolutely. So you can go to our website, which is www.rfwtxgulfcoast.org. And then there's a donate button there. You can find us on Facebook under Refuge for Women Texas Gulf Coast. Um, I think we even have an Instagram page. So, yeah. hey, we're with it. That's and so right. we're on, yeah, we're on Instagram too. And then of course you can just reach out to me personally. I would love um, to to hear from people. My email address is stephanie.clawson at refugeforwomen.org. And um, just if anybody has any questions or wants to know how they can get involved or maybe they're in a different part of the country and, and they want to know how they can connect with one of our other homes. I would absolutely love to plug people in where they feel like they're called to be. That's awesome. I do have one um, last question before we let you go, because you mentioned this a while back, and I think it might be important for parents that are listening, because I don't know, but you mentioned gaming platforms. How does um, that come into play? You know, yeah, with it, it was at the part of the grooming process? What, it is. Okay. So what'll happen, because I know even with my son's, I would, they wear the headset and they can talk with somebody and they don't know who those people are. It's just other gamers who jump on the game. And it's the same exact process as being approached on a social media platform. They get to know you. They start finding out kind of, you know, hey, are you a single kid in your family or do you have other siblings? And they'll start this friendship of going and then, um, and then isolating them through threats or um, maybe inappropriate pictures have been sent or just different things like that. So I do say women because that's um, the majority of of people who are trafficked or exploited uh, for commercial sex. But there are men and there are young men that get involved in it as well. And so we can't say like, oh, I'm a mom of all boys, so I'm good. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Mom of all boys. (laughs) You need to talk to your sons about pornography and you need to talk to them about that escalation dynamic. And you need to have those conversations on how do we honor and respect women in our life. And um, so just because you have boys doesn't mean like, oh, good, they're never going to be groomed. Um, It's not like that. It's um, it's the same on gaming platforms as well. The same tactics. And I think that's even harder to monitor than social media or something, you know, their phone, just mm-hmm. because on that, you can actually go back. And like you said, you look at Netflix history kind of a thing or with a game, gosh, you have to, it's gone. Yeah, that it's almost like gone. you have to be playing the game. To- 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my friends, she has two younger boys, 11 and eight, and they play games, but she doesn't allow them to wear headsets. And mm-hmm. so, oh, so it's just coming through the yep. speakers. Got it. And, yeah. she, and so she says she's walked by a couple of times and had to stop and say, who are you talking to? Like, do you know that person? And, you know, but then they can hear her, you know, yeah. where, you know, she's talking now. And, and um, so I really thought that that was a really neat idea yeah, that's a good of, tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of maybe if you do have younger boys that are on gaming platforms, maybe um, just be able to hear what they're talking about because it's, it's inappropriate. So mm-hmm. you just have to be again, right? Parents, it's okay to parent. That's so true. I'm giving you permission. Giving it. Awesome. Well, <laughs> what you're doing is really just amazing. I mean, it's such a heavy subject to talk about, but so important. Yeah, and, it is. Um, I look forward to this movie coming out again. Uh, yeah, me can too. You, can you let people know once again where they can watch that? Yeah, it'll be on, um, we're going to be premiering it or putting out information on Missionaries for Hope on Facebook. And so we're actually like Travis is here this week because we went to, he's from Northern Idaho and he, we picked him up in Dallas at the award (laughs) ceremony and brought him home with us, but he flies out on Saturday, but him and I are going to do some um, kind of hype videos leading up to Friday. Um, and so you can find that on our Missionaries for Hope um, Facebook page. And then after it's premiered, where is it going to live? Um, pretty much on YouTube. And okay. so our hope is that if you're a parent, you'll share it. If you're a, maybe a youth pastor, you'll use it. If you're law enforcement or I don't, however, we What's would What's that love YouTube for, channel going to be? Um, oh, it's going to be groomed. That's Groomed. the YouTube channels. Groomed. Okay. Groomed. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely have to share that as well. Oh, too, yeah. We'll put all we're that excited in the show notes for you. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's exciting. I appreciate you guys just kind yeah. of um, hearing our vision of what we're doing and um, helping us spread it. So I appreciate you guys. Yeah. You've been Absolutely. great. We appreciate you too. Doing yeah. amazing work. So thank, thank you so you. much. Well, I'm telling you by you guys giving organizations like us this platform to speak from, you're a part of it too. So thank you for what you guys do. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If you like today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.